was an interesting scripture reading in pictures. Um, by the way, I just want to remind you that uh, uh, it is still time for you to wear white because you only have a month left until Labor Day, and that's the time that I don't know why that is, but my wife tells me that every year. So let's <laughs> oh, let's let's start out here with uh, Acts 17. You saw how it was all together, and there were uh, three cities the next three cities that Paul went to, and uh, the gospel in Thessalonica and Berea and in Athens. And uh, I, I can't help but uh, see from Paul's perspective, from an apostolic perspective here, uh, what was the tone of each city. Because in a way, they were cities. They weren't all that much larger or smaller than the others. They're all about 30 miles apart and so on. But uh, uh, here's... Uh, Thessalonica, and it says that the people believed. He went to the synagogue first, as he always did, and usually for uh, three, well, it says three weeks, but uh, three Sabbaths, and there he taught, and he knew exactly what he was going to do because he'd done it in just about every city the same way, the same process, the same MO, method of operation, mode of operation. And uh, Thessalonica, yes, he did have believers. That's what it said in the scripture. That's how it was pictured. And uh, they, were, they were ready. They, they wanted this. And yet it um, didn't turn out after the first few weeks exactly how they wanted it to because, well, they went to the Jewish synagogue. But this was a place, if you have your Bibles open, you'll, you'll see that... Uh, uh, they were, the, the people that were there were multiplied, uh, many more Greeks and so on. But Paul knew what his commission was. His commission was to the Jews first and also to the Greeks. To the Jews first and also the Gentiles or the nations. That was how he was supposed to do it. The Jews must hear this first. And so that's why he started. That was a God-given thing that could not be violated. So he went there first, and he had some ready believers. Except that there's this thing that they started receiving it and were joyful in receiving it, and now the, the, the Jewish structure, the, the people all around that were Jews were the ones that were now against what he was saying. We can't have this guy here. We, I mean, everything he's saying is, is just not right. And uh, that was um, caused a stir. And the jealous Jews, that's what it says. They were jealous. They got together and uh, collected what they uh, could of other people, the rabble, and uh, uh, made a big scene about this. Uh, defunded the, the police officers or something, and uh, that's how it was just riots coming out, and uh, the ready believers uh, now had to take hide. So Paul went quickly on to Berea, as you saw how he uh, did that. Uh, 
with those who could take him. And uh, uh, then he found in Berea something that was uh, quite uh, unusual, I guess, uh, because the Bereans were more noble than the, the typical Jews. These Jews were the ones that said, show us where it is. Show us the scriptures where these things are. And they looked, uh, looked them up, sought them out themselves, and found out these are all true what Paul is saying. Then finally down to Athens, uh, because the same people were coming and heading his way, so Paul quickly was escorted away, and uh, um, he found there, well, he started out in the synagogue again. But they meet on the Sabbath, and so what's he going to do in the meantime? And uh, uh, they heard what he was saying, and the word got around and said, this is a, a different and a new twist. Well, that's what our whole thing is made up here in Athens is new twists on things. So the Athenians uh, said, hmm, let's, uh, uh, let's see what he has to say. And so it's interesting, uh, if you follow the word very closely, it says in Acts that uh, they took him, they took Paul to, it seems like they uh, were not just inviting him if you want to, no, they wanted to have him come to Mars Hill and so on. And that's when his spirit was provoked within him as he saw these people really don't know. The, the background reading and research that I did on this said that uh, there were many, many, uh, 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 not just altars, but um, uh, places of uh, sacrifice and of sexual impurity that could be happening right out because that's how they like to do this. Well, that was Athens. They were confused, but they were also God seekers, and Paul took his time. Now, in uh, Paul's uh, introductory passages, I'm about a third of the way through the first page here, uh, was uh, his, his message, um, what it says. In these words, he says it was about Jesus' suffering and then rising from the dead. But what were the Jews thinking at this time? What were their perspective on all of this? Their perspective on all of this was that oh, we need the king. We need the king to come. King was supposed to come by now. Uh, they've had 400 silent years with no prophets. Well, there was one prophet, maybe the greatest prophet of woman born. That was John, cousin of Jesus. But he didn't last that long. And so where is the king? Where is the king? He's supposed to come. That's all I could remember of, of everything that got boiled down to almost nothing. And then Paul comes along and says, wait a minute, there's been some things that have been fulfilled here along the way too. So as much as they were looking for this, what they saw was from, uh, from Paul and the scriptures was that uh, there's first of all, Jesus is going to suffer. What does suffering mean? That, that doesn't sound like a king. No, it doesn't. But what were they doing in the temple and so on? They were sacrificing lambs, right? This was part of the Passover. This was the thing that they did uh, um, to have the blood on the doorpost so the angel of death would pass by. This lamb that they kept in the house for a few weeks and got to know, and now they had to cause it to suffer and drain its blood from it and basically kill it so that they could put the blood on the doorpost and lintel. Oh, 
This doesn't seem right. So let's just forget that part. Oh, wait a minute. There's another part too. There's another part that a lot of people didn't understand because once you're dead, you're dead. And nobody comes back from the dead and so on. Well, Jesus was one that showed that they could come back from the dead because he raised a lot of people from the dead. But the point is, is that they thought that that was it. And Jesus and Paul was saying, look, he had to rise again. This is the, not just the Easter message. This is the logic message. Because if, if there was a death of Jesus, he took away our sin and he took the sin and, and, and that's, that's at the cross. The sin payment is made. But now he's dead. Well, what good is the sin payment? Because death still wins. You can have all your sins washed away and you're still going to die eternally and not have any presence anymore after this. You cannot be resurrected. This doesn't make sense. So he put that one on the line very clearly and said he had to rise. Otherwise, the sin, how could it be forgiven? He still loses to death. He had to conquer death. And the way he could conquer death was to say, death, you are no more because I am alive and this is how it works. This does all make sense. This is what they were saying. This is what uh, uh, Paul's message was. And I also thought it was interesting to see how uh, he, uh, let's see, first written only a month after Paul's initial visit to, to Thessalonica was when 1 Thessalonians was written. And it's uh, interesting that uh, of all of the, the visits to cities that Paul did and the letters that he wrote to those cities, this one here is in closest proximity. This is the one that the letter is written within about a month, a month and a half from the time that he visited there. And you'll see, as if you go to 1 Thessalonians, that uh, what he was doing was uh, uh, telling that, uh, about John Mark and, and telling about uh, uh, Timothy especially, uh, that we need you now, come please quickly and so on. And you don't see a lot of the, the, the doctrinal section until you get to about chapter 4 of the whole five-chapter uh, selection of Thessalonians. But you see, the first one that Paul wrote, epistle, was to the Galatians, and that's very, very heavy duty in theology. It is like the junior, or the, how do you say, the, the preliminary of Romans, because it has all of the Romans concepts in it, but specifically to address what was happening with the Galatian a region there, the Galatian churches, because they had so quickly or suddenly fallen away from the gospel. Don't you know that it's not working it out by toughing it out and by straining and making it happen? It's already, but you walk in it, you live in it, it's by faith. That's how your life is walked out. So, all that to say that... Uh, uh, the Galatians, he <laughs> had a lot of teaching ready at hand and was likely sharing that in uh, the meetings with the, the Jewish believers and then went out uh, more broadly uh, from Thessalonica and also Berea and also Athens. So now I'm trying to put this together. I'm thinking, God, what do you, what do you want to say this morning? Uh, I, can, I can tell what the scripture says. And the, the little nudge came 
uh, about um, these were the traits of early churches and our traits would probably be a little bit different today because I want to make this apply to us today, okay? And our traits would be, well, it wouldn't be Jewish. How many Jewish synagogues are around today? I mean, when I was helping churches get planted and people would call in, write into uh, Christian Outreach School of Ministries asking for our graduates and so on, uh, and we'd make the connections and so on. <laughs> yes, I did. I looked in the phone book, oh, and it's probably some people here don't know what a phone book is, um, and uh, check for synagogues. No, no, uh, 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 Lansing, Nebraska did not have a synagogue. Uh, the, the place in Kansas, no, there was no synagogue there. Just, you know, just wondering, but uh, the point of it was, was that uh, uh, there were certain traits that just seemed like they would be working out very well. And I even wrote about this in an issue of Cosm Letters um, about uh, church personalities, because every church has a personality. And uh, uh, some of them that I, I saw were, uh, these people are desperate. Now, we have to contain the desperation because we want to fulfill that with getting you the, the person you need here. There are some that were wounded. And uh, another one here uh, was uh, my favorite. They were childlike. The personality of the church, as, as me and my team, we left uh, where we were, um, we saw that we all agreed. Yeah, 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 they're, they're, they're very uh, believing, trusting, and have never been hurt or harmed. They just, this is good. And so they were Christ-like. Now, I, I have desperate, because we have one of those. Uh, there was one church that was bickering. And so after we spent the weekend there, and the Sunday message that I got to speak was uh, how to forgive. Oh, my. There were some that were wondering, okay, we can do that. Those are the teachable ones. And the other ones, I don't see why you even had to bring that up. <laughs> okay, you missed the whole point. The bickering ones, the wounded ones. And then there's uh, uh, not yet a. Okay, that's just my quasi-funny way of saying that uh, the one place that we went up to, it was in Janesville, Wisconsin, that uh, they wanted us to send somebody up and so on. And I said, okay, so uh, this is your facility here. Yeah, this, this will likely be the facility. Okay, so it's not a facility yet, right? No, okay, so uh, the, the people that were meeting, well, that's us. The, the people that we are meeting with is you and your wife. Well, our son isn't here right now, but that's okay. said, Okay, so you want a person to come, but there's no group? <laughs> there's no, not yet a church gathering, not yet a group, not yet anybody around. Okay, this is interesting. It's not like we didn't do that up in uh, Springfield, Illinois, when we were there. We went knocking door to door and so on to uh, scare up what, what we could. And, and we did find some people that uh, did come to Dick Fowler's church. But the point of it is, is that we... Uh, saw that there were different personalities. So I was thinking, what about today? What would be a, a positive personality for a church to have? How, if you wanted to do a work and do it deeply, one of the personalities that would probably come through would be a complete surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have that, it's so easy to work with people. They aren't bowing to you. They're, they're serving him. I'm not bowing to 
anything like, I am serving him too. And when the two servers come together, God knits together an interesting thing called his body. So, uh, surrender. Now, I got to say this part of the testimony because, um, because it really happened. Uh, I was um, uh, at my first year at uh, Concordia Senior College and uh, I found out about uh, an opportunity to witness uh, from the Concordia Evangelism Conference that was usually held in a northwestern suburb of, of Chicago. And so we came there and uh, I was one who was uh, on a team of, of three of us and um, we, uh, I think that team, yeah, our, our team was one that uh, was able to win somebody to the Lord as we were going out that, that uh, Saturday and uh, reported back, but we had something on our dormitory uh, bulletin board that says, if you're interested in uh, soul winning and evangelism, uh, come meet with us down at this place called Soul Found in uh, a downtown, rundown, older area of uh, Fort Wayne. <clears throat> so I thought, I'll just drive down there and see what they got going because I did take a pledge that I'd be an ongoing ambassador for Christ and so on. And uh, so let's see what they got. Well, got to this meeting, and there was a different kind of a, a, a joy about them. There was a camaraderie of these uh, six or seven guys, and most of them were from my class, and uh, found out uh, later that they were baptized in the Spirit, and I didn't even hear that expression, even at that time. And uh, somebody mentioned that. Oh, yeah, it was the, uh, uh, the guy who was heading it all up, uh, and uh, he said baptism in the Spirit, and I thought, I better ask him about that. What does that mean? Baptism in the Spirit. And he said, well, that's in the Bible. I said, really? I don't think I've heard that before. He says, yes, uh, because uh, uh, Jesus uh, uh, said that, uh, um, that when the Holy Spirit comes, be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that, that's not the same thing as, as being baptized in water, is it? So I was just learning this from square one, you know. And... Uh, uh, the fella invited me up to upstairs to, well, what it was was um, an attic area that he had some pieces of plywood laid down, and that's where he had his bed. And uh, he said, I want you to see this. He prayed for me and so on, and used this strange language, too. I didn't know what that was all about, because uh, I had already had Latin, I had had German um, and Greek, and oh, and I had already had my Hebrew course. And uh, so I knew about four different languages, but what he was saying was way different than that. And then there was this electricity that was suddenly going through my body. I thought, what, what is this all about? Wow. So that was the time I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. He didn't know what was happening. I didn't know what was happening. It was God's timing. He says, I do know what's happening, and this is you right now. So at that same meeting that I also had a, uh, an interesting vision, I guess it was, uh, because I saw myself coming up to a, uh, um, a corral railing or something like that that has one, two, three, four uh, um, panels, uh, uh, well, I don't know, uh, one by tens or something that uh, make up the railing. And I, and I got this impression that the side you're on is, is you living your life for yourself. But the other side is a special side where you'd be living your life surrendered to me. So I thought, okay, what is this about? Well, let me investigate, explore. So I started in his vision, climbing up the steps, uh, the, 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 the 
stress of the, the railing and uh, around the other side and I looked down and it doesn't look that much different. What is it? And then I looked over my shoulder and I saw this part serving the Lord, surrendered to Him, was starting to rise in a mystical kind of a way. And the other side where I was living my life for myself was falling off. I thought, this is spooky. I don't know what this is about. So I quickly got back onto the fence and by the time I got up over the fence and started, they, they, the two places just suddenly went down to even again where the life living for myself and the life that was in complete surrender. I thought, what? I don't know what this is about either. But what I can say is that within about two, three weeks after that, um, I had a talk with the Lord about this. I said, uh, I, I, was, I was praying and, and trying to think things through because my talk with him really wasn't in conversation yet. But the point is that he uh, wanted me to make a, a move to him to surrender my life to him. I thought, how does that work? Seriously, here I am, uh, a junior in college. I have even won somebody to the Lord already. But I haven't surrendered my life. What are you talking about? Because I know that it's supposed to be Bible-based. So I have these Bibles, these, these doctrines, and I believe them. But where are, are, are you like for real? I mean, I know, I know about Jesus because he was the one that performed all these miracles all the way through the, the New Testament, all the Gospels especially. I know about uh, the miracles that, that God did. But can, can you like take my life? I mean, my name is not in the Bible. Okay, my name is in the Bible, but the, 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 that's not how you, you do it. I mean, what am I supposed to do uh, for the next summer after uh, classes dismiss and let out uh, for the summer? Um, that's not a Bible verse anywhere. I don't understand this. How do you do this? God, if I give my life, surrender my life to you, do you do that? Would you guide me? And so all I knew to do was maybe it was reminiscent of that, that, that little corral fence. But there, my roommate was gone for the weekend. My side was over here. His was over there. And uh, kind of in the middle of the floor, I imagined a, a line that was there on the floor. And this is where I'm now. And that would be me surrendered to the Lord Jesus. And I don't even know. Because I don't even know you. I didn't know if he did this stuff. So I did this, approach the line, and I quickly would jump. I give my whole life to you. And, and, and then there wasn't a, 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 a bolt of thunder outside, and the room was not filled with light, but there was just a little voice, a voice that I heard for the very first time, and the voice said, I've been waiting for this. We can do this. You know, it was encouraging. And it wasn't even in King James English. I, so I surrendered myself at that point, not knowing what I was going to be. And then I kind of, uh, went and uh, um, began seeking the Lord for, okay, what's going to be happening? This is uh, November already. What's going to be happening for my um, Christmas break? Uh, what should I be doing for that? So I prayed about that. And I didn't want to have to work then, but he said, you've got to work because you need some money because, you know, for the other things that you're going to be doing. Uh, well, I don't know what those are, but uh, so I did that. And by the time 
um, I started teaching some grade school kids in a poverty area and just uh, east of, of Fort Wayne. Didn't know that I was going to be doing that. Um, came the spring break and then the Easter break. And I asked him about those. And uh, sure enough, um, the, he had uh, uh, plans that he spoke to me for those too. And I thought, this is okay. This is, I, I'm getting a hold of this. Besides that, what I'm seeing here is that everything that he wants me to do is always something I don't want to do. And I thought, <laughs> what is this? So uh, as, as I began walking this through, I thought, wait a minute. I just asked him for the next summer and the following fall. And he said, I want you to be on this gospel singing team that's going to be traveling throughout the United States. And I said, yeah, I'd like to do that. And there's a couple more things that I wanted to do. And he wanted me to do them. And I thought, what? Well, my whole way of judging this is, is that if it's something that I don't want to do, then I'm going to do it. And my mind was getting renewed and reformed to what he wanted me to be doing all along. And so that's how I began finally seeing what it was like to live a surrendered life. You have some people like that, and now God can start moving. Anyway, that's what uh, the, the testimony I wanted to give and uh, even that I didn't know him because I've been finding out what it is and he, I found out that he can speak to me. He can give me little pictures, little nudges, thoughts that come into my mind. And uh, also baptism in the Holy Spirit sure helps. Another trait that uh, I would like to see uh, with any church that I would be uh, uh, starting, uh, planting or whatever is uh, they have a good start in hearing the voice of the Lord. Because, I mean, that's where I was. And when people are listening to the Lord, they, their, their voice, their opinions usually are not the ones that, that come right to the surface. They're, they're usually a little laid back, a little hesitant, and it allows discussion. It, it allows for the, the Spirit to, to direct, guide, and match things up rather than uh, having to just be... Yeah, so you start hearing the voice of the Lord. Now, I started teaching on this uh, right away in one of the first classes that I taught here back in 1979, 1980. And uh, these are some of the passages that I used is in 1 Thessalonians uh, 5.23. Uh, May the God of all peace sanctify you wholly. This is also in 1 Thessalonians, which is the one that uh, we have, um, we're talking about as uh, one of the cities that Paul went to. And uh, sanctify yourself wholly, uh, and uh, that may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless. Well, that's not from the Lutheran tradition that I came from, because it was always body and soul. That's how Martin Luther said it. Thought, but Scripture says spirit, soul, and body. Are we really three? And some of the guys on campus were even reading things from Watchman Nee, how he said we are tripartite. And then I've also found uh, in Hebrews uh, 4.12, uh, for the word of God is living and active, um, like a sword piercing the division of the soul and the spirit. Because you know what your body is, but a lot of us still don't know exactly what the spirit is versus the soul. And there can be a discerning on these things. Well, learning to hear the voice of the Lord was uh, uh, also a new learning experience. And... Uh, uh, I recall some of those uh, earlier times when um, in teaching on 
Is it your thoughts or is it the Holy Spirit trying to show you? And are there people that may get confused on, on where the source is? Yeah, there might be. But uh, who is it? Uh, John Wimber or somebody said that that happens maybe one in a hundred, three in a hundred. We can talk to those people and say, if we don't think that what you're getting is from the Lord, that you're making that up out of your own mind. Here, let's adjust your thinking on this and here's how it really flows. And we can train them. So it doesn't happen that often that you get uh, messed up anyway. But because the human mind, the way it works is always a thought connected to thought, connected to thought, connected to thought. It's a chain of thoughts that you have. It, it's barely, it's called stream of consciousness, if you uh, know about uh, that particular author that uh, wrote his book in stream of consciousness. And uh, uh, when, and, and that's how we do it. Now say, say you're in the bathroom and, and, and you are already planning what you do when you walk through the kitchen and so on. And by the time you get to the Kitchen, you can't remember what it is. Anybody been there? So what do you do? You go back to the bathroom, you look in the mirror, you see what was all, and then you remember it. Because that's how our thoughts are all connected. All this to say that when God is speaking to you, it's a different location. It's disconnected from your thoughts. Watch this. You'll see that this is the way it works. That when he speaks, it's, there's a disconnect. And look for the difference. Because then you know it's not you that's doing it. You'll also notice that there's always a, a benefit that, that would come from it. It was in this very chapel, I guess. That was 35 years ago, closer to 40, I guess, when uh, uh, I began seeking the Lord about... Uh, how the ministry is supposed to happen. How do I uh, uh, minister after giving a word and so on? And I felt that, that I was listening to the Lord and he said that uh, you'll be uh, walking out, you'll be uh, going to the people, seven of them, and you'll be praying with them and I'm gonna be giving you the prayers for each one of those. And I thought, oh, that's an interesting way to minister. That's not like an altar call. You come to me, but ascending, for, I am coming to you. And so uh, when uh, um, I was having a chat with uh, Terry Mythaller after that, um, we counted it up and I went to eight rather than seven. <gasps> Gasp. I missed it. This was wrong. Oh, boy. How do I, do I, do I approach the Lord on this? It was over a week later that I finally said, Jesus, I'm going to talk to you about this because I, I think I messed up. And I went to talk with him about it. And the first, first thing he said, oh, you just went to the first one because you were drawn to that person. All the other seven are good. It's like, you aren't mad about this? You... This is okay. Yes, sure. And his whole tone of voice was such that I want you to keep doing these things. You may have missed it by just that much, but it's not an issue. So you start hearing the voice of the Lord. You may make some little mistakes along the way or something, but he's discerning the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. And, and they're all good. So it's a learning experience. And if you're a little bit off target, ask him about it. 
He's on your side. And also, being baptized in the Holy Spirit sure helps. <laughs> so you start hearing the voice of the Lord. Trying it out. Maybe missing the mark a little bit here or there. But then it gets deeper, cleaner, more more challenging because he'll be telling you things where he doesn't give you much of the sto background story at all. <laughs> What's it like to go to somebody in a restaurant and say, you have a call of God on your life. And uh, you don't really know what it's all about any anyway. Uh, so to have some church, some group of people that are hearing the gospel, but they've started to hear the voice of the Lord is sure an asset. So let's go on to the, the third one here. That is uh, developing, a developing a love for the person of Jesus Christ. So like Warren Hendrickson has mentioned in several messages now, prayer is, is, is not the, the, the time that you have to clock in and cover these number of points, even if there are ones that are close to your heart. It's a conversation with him. It's talking with him. Oh my it's so revolutionary. Look, somebody did this to the nth degree, and I have a just one little story that I wanted to bring out here uh, from a book called Children and the Supernatural. If uh, you had been a couple years ago with um, Koss, I think I uh, brought this out back then uh, with uh, the Koss teachers. And this one is called A Date with Jesus. And... Uh, uh, this, the author here, Jennifer Toledo, says, I met Megan at a summer camp when uh, she was five years old. Each summer I would return uh, to the same place in Canada to minister to the group of children and uh, uh, from all over the region. Uh, coming uh, during one of the sessions with the older kids, I began to challenge them to start dating God. Jokingly, I suggested, because they spent much time dating God as they did talking to their friends, uh, uh, about a boy or a girl that they like, they would have an awesome breakthrough with their walk with the Lord. So I challenged them and set aside a time to uh, spend alone with God and to make it special uh, and really get to know Him. And so I, I wouldn't find this out until the next year when I returned. But Megan, Megan was the one that uh, took my challenge very seriously. And as this unfolded, Megan, who was uh, uh, five years old and was too young for my class, decided to come away with her old, uh, come along with her older brother. And she sat next to him during the class and was deeply stirred by the idea of going on a date with God. <laughs> so she decided uh, that uh, when she returned home that she'd give it a try. So after thinking and planning for a while, she informed her parents that she was going to have a special date with Jesus that day. Her parents supported her and, uh, her endeavor and let her continue with her plan. Her parents soon realized how serious she was because uh, she had cleaned her room totally unsolicited in preparation for the date. Now, parents, you know uh, something supernatural is happening when your child cleans a room without being asked. Okay, so she uh, uh, took a bath and put on her best dress. She asked her mother if she could use real food and a candle for the date. And her, her mother thought that uh, that was a little extreme, but she did allow her to place an unlit candle on the table. And it would be okay if uh, uh, you could do with pretend food, wouldn't it? 
well, disappointed, but uh, confident that Jesus wouldn't mind, Megan began to set up her little table in her room. She decorated the table, paying attention to every detail, wanting it to be perfect for Jesus. After everything was in place, she went out to her family and told them to please not disturb her because she was going to have a very special date with Jesus in her room. And she went up into her room, sat down at her little table, and full of faith, waited for Jesus to come. Well, one year later, when Jennifer Toledo was rediscussing this, standing next to her mom at that summer camp, her eyes huge, she told us the story. She says, and that is when I heard a knock at the door. This day would unlock a whole new realm in Megan's life. This shy little five-year-old girl saw Jesus walk into the room. Megan said Jesus sat down at her little table in the spot that she had lovingly prepared for him. He smiled at her, and she was so excited and drawn to him. And when I asked her, can you explain to me what you mean when you saw Jesus come into your room? And she said, I could, I could see him very clearly. It was like I could see the, the room as it was, and I could see him there at the same time. It was as if she was looking through two lenses at the same time. You know, like it's one's the real dimension and, and there's a spirit dimension that is overlapping somehow. And she proceeded to describe her sweet time with Jesus. She says she talked and talked and uh, didn't mind that the food was pretend. Um, uh, Jesus didn't. And uh, so uh, I asked her, well, what did you guys talk about? And her response was perfect. She said, oh, you know, all the normal stuff people talk about. He talked about stuff going on in heaven, and I talked about stuff going on with me, and uh, we took turns talking about things and we like and don't like. It was really fun. She remembered being very aware of how she was holding her fork, pinky up, of course, and how she just wanted everything to be perfect for Jesus. She, she continued to share with me about the special encounter she had. And she told me that after dinner, Jesus invited her to come out to the backyard because he had a special surprise for her. And he took her eyes off and spoke louder than her words as uh, she told me the rest of the experience. When she arrived in the backyard, she said she saw a big, beautiful carriage that looked much like a chariot. And Jesus opened the door for her to jump in. The open top carriage had sparkles and was drawn by two beautiful white horses and Jesus helped her in and they began to go on an incredible ride and she describes a variety of things and colors and suddenly she was taken in the spirit and she was flying over different places and seeing many many things it was a challenging for her to communicate in exact words what happened during that time but Megan's mother was uh, standing beside her uh, daughter and excitedly telling me about things on her date with Jesus, but uh, the mom's joy and gratitude shone on her face. When Megan was finished telling me about her experience, her mother pulled me aside and uh, wanted to tell me uh, her side of it. And so she clearly deeply touched by and tried to communicate the impact that uh, she had, had had on her daughter. And so she explained how Megan had always been so shy and quiet around strangers and that this encounter dramatically impacted her daughter. She told me that uh, she and her husband were shocked at the level of revelation her daughter showed as she explained some of the things Jesus told her. Their five-year-old was using words that they had never heard her say before, and she was explaining complex spiritual concepts.
concepts to them that they knew that she never had in her life been exposed to or heard. There's too much to this, but there's, there's, let's just say that that book about 12 years ago is the one that got me jealous. Why can't I live like that? Why if I invite Jesus into a room, he can show up like that. So I thought, I'm not going to be undone by a Megan who's five years old. I'm taking classes now at, uh, at Jefferson College in uh, heating and air conditioning. And uh, uh, so I have to get off to the classes this morning. And so I'm uh, wondering what's next. How do I do this? And uh, uh, he's you're going to be in the front seat of my car. We're going to meet. We're going to talk. Okay. And so... Jesus, it's nice that you're coming with me today as I'm driving off to school here. And he got the drop on me. And he said, happy birthday, David. It was my birthday. I don't like people to remind me of my birthday. But I also knew it was him because he always calls me David, not Dave. That's what I call myself. Others call me that. He always calls, maybe, like I said, it's a special thing that he likes. And so... He said, and I have a special birthday present for you today. <laughs> no, I'm not going to tell you what it is. And so I went off to class, and it was test day. Uh, and we had to do for, for Bill Connie's class, um, looking up all kinds of things in the code book for um, uh, commercial refrigeration and so on, and, and ventilation around uh, commercial stoves and commercial kitchens, and, and how big the ducts have to be, what kind of ventilation and filters there are, and so on and so on. And you have to find that this is page 72, uh, paragraph 143, and you have to look. And we had a couple of these tests already. This is the midterm test. And I had a couple of those tests already, and I was always the last one to turn on my paper. I mean, there were like 14, 15 people in the class. It was a small class. And uh, I was not the best student in the class. Uh, I was number two or three, but that number one guy, is he sharp? But uh, I was always the last one to turn on my paper because I just could not find these things fast in the code book. And so I am fine. I'm, I'm, I'm going through the code book with a test there. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, hey, there's one. Hey, there's another one right there. And, and I skipped ahead, and I, I kind of left my finger there. And so I found this one, this one, and I went back to that one and filled it in. And the uh, uh, class is about uh, halfway through. And uh, I'm walking up to Bill Connie with my, my test paper. And he says, you have a question? I said, no, I don't want to turn in my test. And you have a question? No, I want to turn in my test. You never turn in your test this early. What's wrong? You give up on it? This is Bill Connie. Maybe some of you know him. And uh, so I, I turned the test in. And by the time class was uh, shutting down, closing up, and so on, um, what had happened here today? I hear over my shoulder that same voice that I heard. He said two words. He said, happy birthday. Jesus was the one to help me find all those answers and get my paper turned in first rather than last. Who can do something like that? A God who knows where everything is and wants to talk with you and enjoys 
riding along with you in the front seat of your car. And the biggest question I had as I was walking away from that little incident was, you were here the whole time, and I was taking my test, and I didn't even regard your presence here. That's how much he is involved with us. Well, I mean, things like this happen, and that's my little happy birthday story, but there's also time uh, in the old fellowship hall before um, its demise and so on. Uh, we had a class uh, called Prayer, Fasting, and Meditation. And uh, uh, from the office building down there, which is also no longer, I brought up a, a recliner that I had because I wanted to show people about how you can envision Jesus. You can picture him sitting in a chair, and that way you can talk to him without the, all the formality of, of checking off things or, or your, your, your uh, obligation level of you've got to meet with him for X amount of time and so on. And I said, today class is, what, about 18, 20 in the, in the class up there. And I said, today we're, we're going to invite Jesus to come sit in this chair. I want to see if you can see him there. Okay? Jesus, you're welcome. Come on in. And I took a double look at what was happening there. I said, I, this, he's not sitting in the chair. He's standing on the right-hand side of it. And a gal over here said, that's what I see too. I don't know who that was. And then, then there's another guy who's very prophetic anyway. Did anybody uh, uh, remember um, Tom Engel? And uh, very prophetic. And he said, yeah, in fact, I saw Jesus there on the right-hand side, just like you're saying. And uh, he starts describing the, the satiny texture of his gown and how the, the flowing silky and the, the, the sleeves and so on. And they all saw him. Now, I didn't ask every single person how they saw him, but he showed up. See, we have a closer touch, a closer context, connection with the spirit realm than what we first think. That was what was in the... Th and then I also thought of a, a song that uh, um, I learned, I guess, before I became a teenager. It went like, I walked through the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the joy we share as we tarry there. The Son of God discloses and the chorus goes, and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tear. What, what denomination was this and how come I couldn't have been a part of it earlier? My goodness, I could have had this kind of a relationship. Wow, I'm glad I have it now. And so developing a love, not just a relationship, but a love. Matthew 22, 37, Jesus said, you shall... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Does love mean love? No, it can't be that. I've never heard a message on that ever. No, no, no. Love means obligation. Love means uh, you're serving him. Love means that uh, this has to be done. Love means that, that uh, um, uh, you, you, you will follow him. Love can't mean love. Can it? But look at that verse again, Matthew 22, 37, with all your heart. Now, we talked about spirit, soul, and body before. Your heart is a connection of your will with your spirit man. Your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. 
which is your emotions also. You can dance before the Lord. You can love him with a love. You can have a mind that is for him. And this isn't carnal. This is not like you and, and, and your wife or you and your husband. This, this is a love that is for him. And for the no plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for evil, to give you hope in a future. And maybe you know Jeremiah 29, 11. But there's the next verses too. The plans I have for you. Then will you call upon me and pray to me and I will hear you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart and I will be found by you. That's all part of the scripture there. And again... Being baptized in the Holy Spirit sure helps. The person of Jesus Christ. The fact that he's here right now. I debate even saying this. Please don't take it any other way. I think I know why they have monasteries now. Um, because I did not have that kind of a... a scattered life, I guess, uh, prayer time in the day. And so I found out that if I got up in the middle of the night, I would just start waking up at about 3 a.m., 3.30 in the morning, something like that, sometimes as late as 4, and spend 20 minutes with the Lord in prayer. And at first, the first few months of this was just praying in the Spirit. And then we started talking, we started chatting and praying in the spirit and bringing other things in and finding out what was on his heart and finding out what, what he wanted me to understand that uh, sometimes things take longer than what uh, I would first think and so on. And, and he would be sharing these things. And, and, and now it's been three years of, of getting up for an hour right in the middle of the night. And then I find out in some place that uh, there are other people that have been doing the same kind of a thing. And it's, it's not that necessarily it's strange. But meeting with him. It's like I, I would come down and I, I, I sit in the, the recliner chair in the living room and look at the back wall and I wouldn't fall asleep. Okay, the, in the three years I've been doing this, maybe four times I did fall asleep for just a little bit. I was exhausted or whatever. And I don't do this on days when we have elections because you've got to get up way too early for that. But um, I would come to the Lord and I would see his face. I'd see his face. And he was right there. And then I would see his eyes blink. I thought, this isn't a thought picture. You're actually there. You see what's happening. The eyes blinking was saying, I've been watching you the whole while. I've been waiting for this moment with you. I go, and I also hesitate to say this because I've, well, I heard it from three or four people over the last 10 years or more. But more recently, just this last week, I heard it three different times in two different uh, settings. I thought, what is going on? Um, that uh, when you are in his presence and he is just glowing with a smile and you can see him, you feel his love for you in such a way that, how do I say this? That you feel like you are loved more than everybody else around you. Now, that's not right. 
But I've heard that from other people, that his love is so great that is there anybody else here that he is loving at all? I, I know that's not right, but that's how people feel. And what is it? Once on, 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 on Dayspring I saw it, and uh, somebody else, oh, on a, a, a secular channel where they had a near-death experience, and they came into the presence of the Lord, and they said, his love just astounded. This was secular television. And I thought, wow, that's what it's like to be in the love of the person of Jesus Christ. I was debating whether I'd do this or not, uh, and I wasn't sure. Because um, I, I, I don't believe in idols and, and so on, but I, I brought along a, a special picture Of Jesus. And it's the one that touches me the most. Can you see his eyes? Staring right through you. What's not to love about this person? You can really have a deeper spiritual walk. Doesn't have to be with a picture, but Maybe it's one of the more accurate renderings too, but the next step is for you. I don't know where all of you are. You've heard my testimony and it's been a lot of years. And since I don't know all of you, I'm wondering whether you have made the, a full and complete surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ where it's no longer the doctrines of man, but it's him that you serve. Surrender your life, your thought, your completely to him. And that you want to try this a little bit more. Try, try the, the, the hearing his voice, the, 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 the testing it out. Because that's how things work in, 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 in ministry with other people, when you get a word of knowledge and so on. And, and then there's the developing the love thing of the person of Jesus Christ, coming into his presence and kicking back and, Jesus, you're really here. I'm not going to ask you to stand, but I am asking you to let it turn inside into your own heart, into who you know you are. Are you willing to give a complete, total surrender if you have not done so? I don't know your history, everybody here. That's one thing he's asking. I'm only here just being his mouthpiece to say it's a good thing to do. The hearing his voice, he wants us as his sheep to know his voice. That's part of it too. Have you worked at that? I don't mean work. I mean allowed it to happen, given it time. And then just simply coming to his presence 
to love him. Just give a two minutes, maybe. Bow your heads, and if you want to move to a different part, you're you're welcome to do that. You don't have to come up here. This is a God moment. This is between you and Him. Lord Jesus, I want to know you better. I want to give my life to you, my decision-making, my everything to you, more than I ever have before. Lord, I'm willing to listen if you're willing to speak. Lord, help me to learn to hear your voice better. Taking this seriously, I also want to say the word I was getting is that by this afternoon, those of you who are wanting to take this seriously will find time to walk with Jesus in ways that you have not experienced with him before. And he will lead you the greater depths of his being. In Jesus' name. It's an intimate thing that happens. And it's uh, with communion. And we are to examine ourselves before communion. And that's one of the things that I do all the time in prayer now. Half the time at least. Sometimes he, he just has things he wants to talk to me about. But in my, my morning, wee hours of the morning, if there's anything that happened during the day that gives me pause, say, Lord Jesus, I will not come into your presence with anything left of sin, of slowness to forgive, of, of anything. Cleanse that out of me right now. It's called self-examination. It's what we do typically before communion, but you can do that anytime you come into his presence. In fact, it'd probably be a good thing to do. Tom, would you come forward? <clears throat> 